my role is uh, has always been teaching and, and training. That's what I that's what I had done from a very early uh, time in the church back in '78 and '79 when I started, and after '76. And so I have been working with one specific area of church of church work, and that is working with church growth, organizing, working with church growth, working with. Um, uh, Preaching, preaching lost souls. That has been my, my sole focus in every church that I have been in. And so uh, when I'm talking to you about these things, although I am an avid reader and studier, what I'm talking to you about, what I call from my reading, is my experience that the things that I talk about work, I know because I use them. They work. Okay? So I'm not just speaking out of a book. You gain from someone else's uh, perspective. So I put together this week um, a little, a little bit a different lesson. I had a lesson I was going to do, and I decided to go a little bit different direction. In fact, this morning was actually going to be, as uh, Traxel mentioned last night, was going to be on church culture. We're going to do the talk on church culture tomorrow. Very, very important to understand church culture and how to develop a healthy church culture. But um, I reversed my, my sessions here. Today we're going to be talking about eight keys to developing a growing church. Eight keys to developing a growing church. All right. And some of these I'll, I'll dive into a little bit deeper than others. If there's some questions afterwards, so I'm just going to kind of give a, a thumbnail of these things, dive a little bit further into some of the points. So let's 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 begin here. Now I know that I I don't I don't smile when I teach, so I'm not mad at anybody. You know, I'm, a I'm a serious guy. I've been told that often. Hey, you know, uh, you're so intense, and it, it, that's just the way that it is. You know, I'm going to be 72 years old. It's too late to change my face now. But I, I love everybody. Not mad at anybody. Okay. So, number one, number one, number one. Now, we're talking about foundational stuff. Eight keys to developing a growing church. Number one, obviously, this is right, this is the cornerstone, this first one. Confirm your vision and calling is from God. Now, for those who are in our uh, AAC pastors, which we welcome you, thank you that you'll be able to come. And uh, God bless you for your work. It is a tough road to hoe, especially in today's world, digging out a church that is non-existent uh, in your city is tough work. But there has been, and, and when I say vision or calling, you're pastoring now and you get, you get a vision, you begin to cast a vision for what direction you want your church to go in. And so all, all that I'm saying here is you want to absolutely confirm that that vision or that calling is from God. You've got to carefully search our heart, search our motives. You know, our, we know this thing. Our heart is deceitfully wicked. You know? And uh, so we, we, we need to just lay it all out there sometimes and make sure that what we're doing, we're doing for the right motive. And it is from God. It is, it is from God. Um, we've got to know why we want to do what we're about to do. Why? That's where the motive comes in. What is the why? 
What's the why? You'll need that confirmation to look back to when rough times hit. I actually addressed some of those things last night. You're going to need a point of confirmation to know when, when things come for you that your immediate thought had been, I must have missed it. You know, did, did, I, did I miss it here? Am I on my own? Is God with me? You've got to have a point to look back to to know without a doubt. Well, you know, if God be for us, who can be against us? If the vision is from God, the calling is from God, if God be for us, who can be against us? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Any calling that's from God, it, this, is, this is my opinion, okay, my perspective. Any genuine calling that is from God would be related first to reaching people. To reaching people. And maybe I'm talking to some young ministers right now. When I say this, I do not believe that there is any direct shot calling to preach on a pulpit. Mm, right. You understand what I'm saying? Mm. No, the, the, the calling to the pulpit or whatever way, tool, method that God wants to use us for will first come from a passion to reach lost souls. Brother T.F. Tenney said, if you cannot hear God's voice, you cannot lead God's people. Amen. And the last thing I'll say about confirming your calling or vision is to make sure that vision is realistic. Now when I said that, I'm not discounting great faith. But what I am discounting is ridiculous vision. Give you an example. When we first moved to Tennessee, back in 2006, I was going to, I was in UPC for 35 years, so we went to a UPC church, small church, they've been in existence for about 13 years, and I told Debbie going into it, I said, Debbie, we're going to find out why, after 13 years, they're only running 30 or 35. I said, it's either they simply have not had the right people, or there's some other thing going on, or something else, something else going on. Well, and I'm not going to dwell on all the issues. I'll talk maybe more, more about that when I talk about types of cultures tomorrow. Because the culture there was a toxic culture. That was the issue. That was the issue. It was a, it was a toxic culture. But in relation to vision, on this uh, pastor's website, now they're running 30, 35 for 13 years, but on the website, on the website, God gave them a vision that they were going to be a church of 3,000. Quite a large step from 30 to 3,000. And when you, when, when, you, when you see the type of leader that this couple were, type of leaders they were, you know, anybody with any common sense and understanding human nature and ministry would realize this couple will never pastor 3,000 people. Do you understand? So it's great to say and make it sound like, wow, God's giving me a prophetic vision. You know, we're going to be a church of 3,000. We're going we're to reach this city. All that stuff is well and good. But make sure it's realistic. Make sure the vision's from God. Not just pie in the sky and wanting to sound good for those around you. All right. That's number one. Number two. Number two. Keys to developing and growing church. Number two, 
understand the mission. They sound ridiculous. You say, Brother, Brother Art, you know, we know what we're about. We know what we're trying to do. You, you may. But in my observation over the years, I'm not sure we always do. All right, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure we always do. I'll read a scripture here. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Here's why we have a five-fold ministry. Here's why we're all here. Here is the purpose for every one of us in ministry or in leadership. Here is the purpose. Paul states it right here. Here's why he gave that gifting. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The edifying there, if you look up the word in the Greek, talks about literally structure, architecture, and so forth. Not talking about the building, but talking about building up what is the church, which is people. Those lively stones, us, lively stones. Building up for the work of the ministry. Building up people for the work of the ministry. Because what is supposed to be happening in our churches is a geometric effect, a multiplication, not just an adding to with no end goal. So it's easy, obviously, to get sidetracked with all of the things and responsibilities that there are in trying to grow a church, working with various ministries, various departments, all of the practical things of building and financing and visiting the sick and, and, and all of those things. But the mission, the mission is to be growing people. Amen. To grow a church, we grow people. We get sidetracked. We can attempt to grow in number only and neglect to ensure that we're making disciples, not just followers. There's a difference between a follower and a disciple. Followers are not 100% committed. I got news for you. They all have different reasons for following. But a disciple is a different animal. Disciple. All right. So understanding the mission. So in understanding the mission, when we talk later about a mission statement and understanding and having, having a vision, there's some things that we need to make sure are aligning with our ultimate purpose and goal of growing, perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Okay. Number three. Number three. Now... I have my notes here. Session one gave the reasons. Well, session one did. Session two, we'll talk more about this. So I'm not going to delve into it too, too deep today. But number three is intentionally develop the culture. Intentionally develop the culture. The culture that we're developing is so important. There's a culture. We're going to have a culture regardless of whether we have developed it or whether it has kind of grown and developed around us, you're going to have a culture. And people recognize and sense what that culture is when they walk through the door. 
So it's something that we better manage and carefully, intentionally grow and develop so that it is a good, healthy culture. And we'll talk more about that tomorrow. Talk more about culture tomorrow. But still talking about culture here, how does that flesh out when I say developing a good culture? How does that flesh out? Pastors and leaders, first of all, really must model the culture that we want to have. It's a modeling thing in a lot of ways. Communicating the game plan clearly and often to leaders so that it makes its way clearly downstream. Communicating clearly. I cannot underscore enough the importance of clear communication, leaving nothing to question with our leaders and in relation to the mission and what, we're, what, what you're about, what we're about. Powerful moves of God, obviously, we know, still come from much prayer and fasting. Powerful moves of God. Great services. There's nothing that has changed in 2,000 years as far as that very important <coughs> statement that I'm making. And I know, you, I know you all know that, but I'm going to say it anyway. Powerful services come from much prayer and much fasting. That's right. There's some sacrificing taking place. And so for, for that to happen, for if you want to have a culture of a, a prayerful church, well, emphasis then has got to be put on prayer and fasting. You know the old saying, you get what you preach, right? You get what you preach, you get what you teach. If you want to grow emphasis, and these are just, I'm just talking about a few points related to culture and developing culture. If you want to grow, emphasis must be put on reaching the lost. Otherwise, if all your emphasis is on church attendance, which I hear a lot, if all your emphasis is on church attendance, then do not be surprised if all you get is a bunch of people who just attend service. If that's where your emphasis is. So that's just a few things on culture. We're really going to delve into it deeply tomorrow. Number four. Number four, we're going to spend some time on this one, because this is the one that's really uh, at, at my heart, has been at my heart and passion for many years. And we're coming, the, the, the church is coming, the church world, in, in the nominal world, church world, apostolic world, are all coming much better at this. But number four is realizing, understanding, we need to organize for church growth. Church growth does not just, does not just happen randomly or by chance. Or like the old movie uh, about the baseball field, I think it was, you know, build it and they will come, you know. <laughs> Organize for church growth. A mission statement or vision without a game plan is a pipe dream. Amen. Okay. So, starting out with church organization, the very first thing, and again, I'm just touching on these things. We can have a Q&A. Uh, I'm just planning some seeds right now. I'm just kind of wet our appetite a little bit. But first impressions are very, very important right off the bat. First impressions in relation to organization. People decide whether they and how they feel about any institution in the first eight to ten minutes. That's what 
That's what we're told by the experts. Eight to ten minutes, they make their first, we make our first impression. If we walk into a restaurant or a store or wherever we go, we're beginning to develop a concept or a first impression about, about that place. And first impressions are hard to change. First impressions are hard, hard to change. But when they walk in, people are sensing visually. Their senses are at work. The, the, what, what they're smelling. The sounds they're hearing. All their senses are at work when they're walking in any place, which includes our churches. Our, the, the modern day, and, and let's not forget this in relation to first impression, in, in, in today's world, our foyers, our foyers, the first place that people walk into, are no longer our physical foyers. It is our website. People look for things and search things, they Google it now. Where's the nearest apostolic church? What churches are in my area? So when they click in to your church, it, it's a good thing if here we are now, we're, we're coming in a couple of weeks into June, it is probably a good thing if the first photos that they see on your website are not from your Christmas party. Amen. That's probably a good thing. That we, we, we have a website that is up to date, right? Current, modern. You might have to put a little money into it, but it's very important because that is the first book. I know when I go into a city and I search a place, I mean, Debbie's an avid Googler, the first thing, and then, of course, it's always interesting when we look up a church and we try to find, let's, let's look at their website, see, see what they're about, you know, that kind of thing, see how they present themselves, and we'll look and look, and here's even worse. They don't have a foyer. Yeah. They don't have a website. Yeah. Oh, it's not important in today's world. I don't need a website. So, it's important. Our, our social media impression is important. What we look like on whatever you're using, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, whatever, you, whatever you're doing, it's important that it has a, a, you know, a, a, a good look, a good look. It's important, we're talking about organizing for church growth, we're going to be in this section for a little bit. It's important that we have a plan for our guests when they come in the door have some specific plan. Now, dealing with guests, we did a podcast on it yesterday, and really dealing with guests and, and what, how we handle guests is not a science. There's no one, two, three steps, this is the four steps, this works, this is what works everywhere. It's more of an art than a science because we're dealing with individuals. Your guests may be experienced apostolics that are looking for a good church for their family which means you better make a good first impression. If you want to keep a good, already discipled, on-the-go, working couple to help you in your church, right? Those first impressions are important. But, in, or, or the guests may come in and it's their very first time, their very first time being there. Having, having a plan, having a plan for your guests of how they're, how they're ushered through the process is, is very, very important. Having a path for new members. Not just that, but having a path, a plan for new members. A path to discipleship. 
had a plan for getting people involved. Those two kind of work hand in hand, plan for new, path for new members, having a path or plan for getting, getting people involved, growing people, right? We're talking about Ephesians 4, 11, 12. So there should be a plan in place to make sure that is fulfilled, that is fulfilled. You know, um, years ago, and I don't, I don't know that this is always the case now, but it's, but it's out there still. We'll get, we'll get, we'll get pockets of this. It's easy for us to get into the mindset, and this used to be the mindset for those of you that are older here and have been in the church for decades. You may remember these things, but it used to be kind of the attitude of like, none of the things that I'm talking about really matter right now. This is the old mindset. None of these things are really important. And here's why. Because we have the truth. The truth, they don't have the truth. We, we, we have the truth. So that's, that's the that's the ace that we have up our sleeve. So we don't have to worry about all those things like the denominal world. We're just trying to pull all those people in through the false doctrine. We've got the truth. Doesn't work that way. It didn't work out real well. The reason being is that the same people who are being paid attention to that come into that those denominal churches are the same people that are walking through our doors. And their same expectations that they expect when they walk in any denominal church are the same expectations. I'm not talking doctrine. I'm talking presentation. You know, you know, God calls us, God works through us, God does miracles, all that kind of stuff. However, however, any vision that God gives us, any calling, any vision that God gives us, guess what? It's a partnership. You know, if we're not doing our part, that vision is not going to happen. I got it. Just, just because God gives a vision, God's giving us a vision, a specific vision, each one of us, right? Because He knows us intimately. Every one of our strengths, our weaknesses, our intellectual level, our, all of our all of our skill levels, God already knows. So when He gives a vision, we can look at it like. A specific plan for our life that God wants me to do. But if I don't step up to the plate and then use those skills and abilities that God is seeing in me to fulfill those things, well then he wasted that vision on me. A vision is like, a vision, when we get a vision in prayer, oh God, God showed me this. Picture it like, and some of you who are very young probably don't remember, that, won't, won't know this, what I'm talking about, but... Let me step back a little aside here. Years ago, we didn't have iPhones. We had we had cameras, and you took a picture, and you had no idea how that was going to come out because you had to use all 12 or 24 or 36 or 48, and then roll it, roll it up, roll it, roll it back into a little canister, and and take it to a store and get it developed, and maybe about four or five days come and see that of 48 pictures, six of them came out pretty good. <laughs> But so let's picture that in my, in my example here when God gives us a vision because God is old school, right? When God gives us a vision, it's like a, a, a picture on that, like taking an image on that negative film. Boom, there's an image there. But the developmental stage of that takes time. And unless we're working on helping that developmental stage, 
that vision will never be fulfilled. So it's a it's it's, it's a partnership all, all the way. And so yeah, so we've gotta we've gotta strategize a little bit and, and and you know get get some people together to think think through these processes to make sure that we're doing the very best we can. You know, it's amazing. It's amazing. But when God sees a people, when God sees a church, you think about this, when God sees a church that is really, really doing a good management job with people, and all these little plans and processes that I'm talking about, it handles the guests with kid gloves and is, is loving on people, and in God's knowledge, He knows somebody in your city that is at that point that he wants to send to an apostolic church because they're ready for it. And there's three or four churches around, but you're, you're, you are the one that's really managing people well. Where do you think God will make sure they go? You better, you better believe it. You better believe it. Um, Todd Rainier, I don't know how many know him, he pastors a very large church, one of the largest in America, he does a lot of st statistical surveys and so forth. He calls this the big four in talking about people that come to our church. This is the big four. This is the this is what is in their mind when they come statistically, the big four. Number one, they have high expectations. High expectations. Why would I want to be a part of something that expects nothing of me? Right? Many churches are now attempting to remedy this problem with entry point or new member classes where expectations of service, stewardship, and attendance are clearly established, knowing they're going to be challenged at your church. The second thing they're looking for is small groups. Churches that close that gap, that put them in small groups because relationships are so important. People building relationships quickly, that's what keeps them. People come into a church, they're strange. They're strangers to it. They don't know anybody. So the quicker they get connected in some relationship, the more apt they are, they are to stay. The third thing is ministry involvement. Getting them involved in doing something as quickly as possible. And the fourth, I already mentioned, is those relationship, relationship connections. So anything that you can do to satisfy one of those four areas you're going to help yourself as far as keeping people. Tony Tamil, who was in UPC years ago, one of the ones that was really big and really planted the seed and really got, got uh, home, fellowship, home fellowship groups going, what we call small groups now, but home fellowship groups. He was a home fellowship group church, tremendous home Bible study teacher. He was a union representative that started a church out of his garage and I don't know if you know about the Tamil's Church in Wisconsin now, but a great church, great church. And um, he started out with home Bible study, church or youth home Bible study. But anyway, he said this, it is the current, listen to this, it is the current harvest that produces the seeds for the next harvest. Why would God want to send people to a church that has a poor management system? that has a poor ministry growth system where those seeds never get a chance to bear fruit. All right. Man. 
So sometimes when we are not being very attentive and very careful and cultivating from our, our current guests that, that come to our church, we're missing out on what could have been help for the next level of the harvest. Engaged saints advance the mission. I'm not talking about engaged with Mary. I'm talking about involved. Involved saints advance the mission. So it should be, it should never be our goal to just accept people coming, converting, sitting on the pews, just faithfully paying their tithes. And I'll be honest with you, I really believe, and I'm not saying anybody in this room, but I really believe there are those pastors out there that, that that's fine. Build a church up to 100, 125, maybe become self-supporting for that pastor, and, and he's comfortable, so I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Everybody stand just trying to get as many as I can get to stay, and, and I'm good. I'm good with that. Do you realize that pastors and church leaders can fall into the very same melee that many of us preach and pray doesn't happen to our saints? And that is just getting too contented and comfortable to really care about growth. Good. Good. We're good. Okay. I'm going to make sure nobody's armed in here as I get deeper into this. So we need to continually challenge people to get involved in the mission. Getting involved in mission, which is why it's so clearly to continue to state what our mission is. Providing a clear path. I'll just hit some of these things quickly. Providing a clear path toward involvement. A lot of times with too many choices, people choose nothing. They choose nothing but too many choices. Need a clear path. So we need to focus all of our programs around the mission because what people get involved in becomes their mission. It becomes their mission. That's their focus. So if you get a lot of off-mission programs like quilt clubs or hunting clubs and so forth, that's, that's going to be their mission. That's going to be, that's going to be their passion. Also, in relation to how we bring people into our church, understand people, uh, uh, I missed my point here, uh, but how, how we bring people in is what they continue to expect. I have nothing against block parties. I have nothing against, you know, big, big, big events to, you know, attract people. But what we need to be aware of is the people that come in that way are next Sunday and Sunday after expecting the same thing. A big blowout and gifts and handouts, and, you know. And when they're not there, you know, they're not going to be around long. So, however they come in, that's what they're expecting it to be. People ascend or descend to our level of expectation. People want to be challenged. But there's, I, you know, I, I think we need to be careful of sometimes feeling like we, we need to baby people or not expect too much from people. People want to be challenged. They want to grow. They want to see a path to grow. They want to improve their life. In following along with organizing for church growth under this particular number four, I believe it was, heading, and I'll just touch these things, it's important to make sure you have a good departmental structure, your departmental structure. And here, here's one that is so important so important. This has been a blessing, blessing, blessing for us at FAC. 
systems and processes, written systems and processes, written systems. Now, we used to call, uh, we used to call these, uh, uh, what do we used to call them? Uh, job descriptions, yes, job descriptions. A system is more like a job description on steroids, because it lays out every single detail of what that particular position is, is it, it, what's expected, what's expected of it. It aids in further training down the road when others get involved, uh, get in, uh, involved in that particular ministry. It, it, it uh, allows a degree, a good degree of accountability because people when they join a team, they're, they're, being, they're given a system and they're signing it, saying they understand it and agree with it. They have the written system right there with them at all times if there's any question of what their role or responsibilities are. But what it allows you to do when you have a system for every one of your ministries or departments, what it allows you to do is, you can almost put it together like a puzzle, when you know what each system is about, you can then build a process with those systems. You, you build yep. those, the systems together then again create a process of what you're doing. You're plugging in, well, here's what this offers, here's what this does, this is what this system is for, this group. And so, it is a way to help you clearly build a good structure. And then, of course, I, I am a strong advocate of small groups as, as soon as we, you, you possibly can in your church. Small groups are, are, can be very, 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 very valuable. Um, 15% of churches get 200. 15% of churches, and I may not be able to finish out all of my points here today, but 15% of churches get 200. This is all denominations combined. <clears throat> Only 15% are we at 200. 11% are 250 or over in America. 11, 11%. Why is that? Why is it that only 15% of churches ever hit or ever break the 200 mark? Surprisingly, the main reason churches never pass 200 in attendance has nothing to do with spirituality. It has to do with structure. Brother Anthony and I were talking about this this morning. Brother Anthony runs a company with about 400 employees. If Brother Anthony tried in any way, shape, or form, to run around and follow his crews around to make sure of the quality of the cleaning that they're doing and all the things that they, the maintenance that they do and so forth. There is no way in the world that Brother Anthony would have a company with 400 employees because it would be physically impossible for him to do that and maintain any level or semblance of quality control or order among training, all, all those things. And so it is, obviously, with, with, with our churches. Here's the four big reasons why only 15% of churches ever break the 200 mark. And that's a, a rough barrier. It's a big barrier. Number one, small churches are structured to stay small. A small church is going to structure themselves often like a mom and pop store. They're the ones running around, you know, the pastor and the pastor's wife. And maybe one other leader help to do everything. Organize everything. Run around and do everything. And just like in a business, you can 
only you can only lead so many people with that mentality. Right. Of that you're, you're 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 doing everything. And so here here is again where it comes down to that idea of Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Where we're seeking out people to put in put in various roles to help. To help with the work of the church. That pastor does everything mentality will limit us from ever growing beyond our capabilities as one single person. It's just really a lot of that is just is simply common sense. You just you're just not going to grow up, above that level. So that small churches are structured to stay small. Number two, the pastor does everything. So this is why you hit a plateau and you can't you can't get beyond it. Number three, some claim they don't have the right people. Kerry uh, Newhoff surveyed 1,400 pastors. And these are the top four reasons that I'm giving you right now from 1,400 pastors of why they believe you can't, you could cross 200. One is the idea of saying they don't have good leadership. Feeling like that they, 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 had to import leaders to be able to help from that point. Where the whole the whole idea is that they don't need to import leaders and pay for leaders. They need to grow leaders from 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 within. And then number four, number four, very very important. And this is a problem if you have leaders and you've got departments and so forth, and you do have some help in that area. Another hindrance is. The team is not aligned. Team alignment. Everybody is not on the same page with the same mission. Okay. So we know if there's not unity and there's not alignment with all the ministries pointing in one direction, you're going to have disunity. You're going to have disruption. You're going to have hindrances to, to, your, to your growth. And I'm just touching on the thumbnail of these things, giving some ideas. And here's number five. And this can be a real hindrance, especially, you know, most, most pastors, most people that are crazy enough to accept a call to pastor or to uh, uh, start a church, you know, um, they're normally, normally some type A qualities in there, right? Some type, type A, type personality qualities in there. And uh, I'm, I'm a type A personality also, and I, and I know this is, has been in my leadership roles oftentimes that I've had to really guard, and that is micromanagement. Micromanagement. If you need permission, if one of your leaders in the church needs permission every time you need to buy a roll of paper towels, you have a micromanagement issue. There's a difference between giving a leader a job to do and empowering a leader to do a job. When we give a leader or someone a job to do, we're basically going to oversee it and make sure they do it the way we want it done. When we empower somebody, we say, hey brother, I know you got a brain, I got a brain, hey, would you do me a favor, I got this job to do, it's yours, man, how do you think is the best way to do it? Now, it may not be done exactly the way we want. And see, that's where the development and training process comes in. That the next time 
you work with them, you have meetings, say, hey, I like what you do, I appreciate you doing that. Here's what I might do next time. Here's what I, mean. I think this will work a little bit better. And you're, you're developing people. You're, develop, you're empowering, you're developing people. When people are empowered and they feel like you trust them, there's a trust relationship there, and you respect them and what they bring to the table. You know, I have seen, I have seen, I mean, good people, good, intelligent people in churches, good business people in churches, that if you ask them what their role is in that church, they're doing nothing. And it's not a matter of them locking in and saying, I just don't want to do anything. I attend you. I don't want to be bothered. I run a business or I do this or, you know, I'm a salesperson on my sales team and I don't, I don't have, I have time for that. It's not that at all. More often than not, they have never been recognized and developed to take on some role in that church. And that, that is a real pity, folks. That is a real pity to let good talent go unused in our churches. Amen. And we do have a bottleneck in leadership. Oh, don't, 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 don't mistake that. We have got a real bottleneck in, in, in leadership in our, in our churches. All right, so I'll, I'll, I'll stop with that and let's go to number five. Number five in building a, uh, what is my title again? Building, uh, developing a growing church. Number five, become, this is going to sound crazy to you guys, but become a disciple maker. Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm from old school. <laughs> I, I actually believe, this is going to think this is crazy now, but I actually believe pastors should be the best soul winners in the church. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy. Pastors should be leading the way in reaching lost souls. Do you know that our general superintendent of the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is my pastor, still teaches one-on-one -on -one home Bible study, search for truth Bible study. And so does his wife. Not only one-on-one, -on -one, but in women's institution for abused women always, always has a whole Bible study going on. Leading the way and modeling so good. So, we're talking about how we grow our churches. How we grow our churches. Pastors and leaders must lead in this. The key to any business is knowing how to bring in business. Now, not only have I been involved in Helping churches grow. I have owned four or five different businesses through my career. And the reason that I've been able to be flexible in the type of businesses that I've had is because the key to any business is simply knowing how to bring business in the door. Yeah. The doing of it, you can get people to do. Mm -hmm. The bringing in the business in the door is where you start to make the money. Yeah. Getting business at the door. Okay. Well, it's the same with churches. If we don't know how to get business in the door, you are going to struggle. Getting business in the door. So, think 
yourself, what has been your most effective method of soul winning? Mine personally has been home Bible studies. Home Bible studies. Deb and I, through the years, not to pin any rows on myself, but staying steadily at it for years, have won approximately just as saints in the church. About 200 souls through home Bible studies. <coughs> just continually working at it, working at it. And so, you know, again, being old school, I'm from the old school, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's why I have not adopted any new Bible studies going the other way because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's a soul winning tool that's working for me. Uh, lifestyle evangelism, though, is what I believe we should be promoting in our churches. Lifestyle evangelism. Yeah. So, most of the people that we have won in one way or another were people who we met, especially early on with our Bible studies, that were already part of my world, whether my business world, my uh, uh, my circle, my circle of influence is what I'm getting at. People that we already had a relationship with or building a relationship with. But an unscientific Twitter poll was conducted recently to see what church leaders and church members thought of the trend of the fact that this was the question, why do you think many churches aren't as evangelistic as they once were? They gave 12 different reasons why this was thousands of churches responded to this Twitter poll. And uh, there were 12 top reasons why, I'm not going to read all 12 because I want to finish some other points here, but I will read the two that stuck out to me the most, to me to be the most relevant for us, for our, our movement. Number five said, our churches have an ineffective evangelistic strategy of you come rather than we go. Number one. The second one that stuck out to me is churches have lost their focus on making disciples who will thus be equipped and motivated to reach the laws. Those are the two that stuck out to me the most as to why our churches are not as evangelistic as maybe we, we, we could be. Now, in a survey that was done, and I use this often, a survey that was done with 8,000 churches, large survey, years ago, large survey, all different denominations. And the question was asked, why are you in the church that you attend today? Why are you in the church you attend today? And 15%, 15% gave reasons, about six or seven different reasons. The church was across the street from me. Uh, we liked the Sunday school program for my kids. Uh, they had a, a program for over 50s. And, you know, all, all those little, little things like that comprised about 15%. Interestingly, one half of 1% stated that they were in the church that they were in because of an evangelistic campaign. Just throw that out there. An evangelistic campaign, I'll explain why. But it, the, this is what I'm getting at. 85% gave the reason that they were in the church that they're in because of a friend, a relative, associate, or a neighbor. Friend. Friend, relative, associate, or neighbor. There was already a pre-existing relationship before they walked in the door. And see, that ties in with promoting in our churches Lifestyle evangelism. Lifestyle evangelism. When 
I firmly believe that we become missionaries the moment we become Christians. We become missionaries, right? Paul called it, we're ambassadors. Ambassadors. Our circle of influence is our primary mission field. Every Christian should know that no matter what his employment is, it is only paying his expenses as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. In fact, we need to ask ourselves two questions. Am I using my mission funding wisely? And how effective have I been in my mission field? That should be the challenge that we, that we, we throw out to our, our church. We need to understand that soul winning is not a program. It is a way of life for a Christian. Way of life for a Christian. Consider this. I'm going to run short of time here. We need to start about five after. We'll go about five after. Yeah. If that's all right. Okay. Psalms 37 and 23. Consider these few scriptures. Psalms 37 and 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Couple that with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and depart lead not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. He shall direct thy path. Our steps are ordered by the Lord. Right? Okay. So, based on these two scriptures alone, it is apparent that God orders and directs the daily paths of his children. God loves lost people, and he wants to reach them, and he has deliberately planned for us to help him do that. So, if he has his mind on someone who needs to be saved, he may choose you or me to get his message to them, and it can happen in one of two ways. God can direct us to a specific place, house, street, grocery store, drugstore, wherever, to tie up with that individual. Of course, the key there is we have to have been praying for God to show us and make us right. sensitive to those around us wherever we go so we can capitalize on that opportunity when it happens. We're ready. We're ready. Instant, in season and out. Yeah. Right? So, and, or he can put us on assignment once we have unwittingly arrived at the place he needs us to be. He needs us to be. I'll, I'll mention this quickly. Brother Traxel is, is, is aware of this. I, in 2021, I was sitting in my study between services at, at FAC. I got a, 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 you know, a beep on my phone. A, you know, a, a, and a, an African guy, had, an African pastor, had uh, friended me, on, wanted to friend me on, on Facebook. He messaged me, you know. And I, I, I usually ignore those things. You know, usually if somebody had mentioned here or they just want money, right? Well, that's usually all they want is, is money. We're Americans that were rich and they, they want money and then they've got pictures of their orphans, you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, I mean, God kind of really was dealing with me. I could feel there was something. When I looked at this young man's message and his, his pictures on there, and so I, I, I communicated with him. I threw it out there. I said, hey, you know, what you're doing looks very apostolic. We're talking about being in the right place at the right time, God directing God, sending people. This guy's 5,000 miles away. He is 5,000 miles away in Kenema, in a village in Kenema, Africa. But he looks like a, he, you could tell by his writing, he was a well-educated young man, sharp-looking couple. And so I said, hey, your ministry looks very apostolic. What do you, what do you preach? You know? And he said, Jesus. 
And I said, well, you know, we all preach Jesus. What exactly do you tell people they must do to be saved? And he, of course, gave the Trinitarian equation. And so I said, well, here's what we believe. And I just threw out there Acts 238, you know. And I said, hey, if you're interested, I'll, I'll love to share some scriptures with you that would ignite your ministry. And, and he uh, said, oh, sir, I would love that. Anyway, make a long story short, taught him the next day. His eyes were open. He sees, he's, you know, he's like blown away. He had never seen it before. He asked me if I teach his leadership group. A week later, I teach his leadership group of about 20, 25. This is online over Zoom. I continue to teach them for a couple of months. The father, who was a senior pastor, invites, invites me out. I get Brother Traxon, Brother Anthony to go with us. I'm teaching like four hours a day for four days. Brother Traxel's preaching at night. They, they, they had a church of about 350 or so. We baptized 81 in Jesus' name. Right? The pastor, the senior pastor, the entire leadership group, people getting the Holy Ghost left and right. And I had been teaching that group now for two years. And we're going back. They're running 700. They got three daughter works. They are apostolic to the core.
that top talent leave. Now, this was a business survey. And again, I will, I will reiterate, people that work at businesses, people that work at businesses and are part of this business survey are the same people that walk in our door. So the survey is relevant to us, even though it's a business survey, because these are people that we're talking about, the same people that walk in our doors. So this is what they say is why top talent leaves. And I'll be getting more into this tomorrow when we talk about culture because we've got to develop the kind of culture that keeps people like this because people recognize culture. They sense it. But here's the, here's the top ten reasons why top talent leaves. Failure to unleash their potential. Failure to challenge their intellect. Failure to engage their creativity. Failure to unleash their skills. Failure to give them a voice. Failure to care. Failure to lead. Failure to recognize their contributions. Failure to increase gradually their responsibilities. And failure to keep commitments that were made to them. Top ten reasons why people leave the, cor the corporation or the company that they're, working, that they're working for. The bottom line, people appreciate and are impacted when they know you care about their development. All right. And number seven, real quickly here, I'm down to three minutes, continually grow as a leader. If we're going to lead people, we're only as good as our resources. We must stay ahead of the game. We've got to keep learning. It's impossible to be a leader of growth and not be intentionally growing ourselves. And we're only as good as our resources. We cannot get comfortable with status quo. We must be challenging ourselves. Healthy leaders never feel they've arrived. Healthy leaders never feel they've got it, they've got it, they've got it lived. Change almost always involves a level of discomfort, uncertainty, and awkwardness. Therefore, change is often resistant. Change is resistant. Church leaders, especially after attaining a certain level of success, often succumb to the temptation to keep things as they are. Which is why when you study churches and denominations in church history and great churches that were once great churches, for example, the church that you pointed out this morning is going to be for sale and how their attendance dwindled. If you look at the history of any church, any great church that is now selling their building because they can no longer fill it anymore, they go through a what's called a bell curve type of a, a growth. It goes, they start out, it goes up, it goes up, they peak. They think they've got it made, nothing else to do, they're on top of the world, but you can't stay there. Because see, what ends up happening then, it gradually descends, descends, descends from there. And once it starts on that descent, it is very difficult to turn it around. That's why we've got to stay on top of it and stay ahead of yeah. that curve. So uh, I'll stop there. The last one, and this is, a, this is a simple one, this is just one of those, uh, you know, Common sense one. Number eight, in growing a healthy, keeping a healthy church growing, stay in compliance with scriptural financial principles. And they go beyond tithes and offering. We have to model being prudent and wise steward. And I'll end up with this statement, so I don't get anything thrown at me. But we need to live the lifestyle we preach to our saints to live. Amen. Amen.
God bless you.